We have a couple scriptures that we would like to read. Um, the first one is John three sixteen and 17, and it reads as follows. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. We can be thankful for that, right? Verse 17 says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Amen. Amen. Okay, I'm going to be reading Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, God, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit is so alive in this room, in our community. It is good to see young people on fire for God. My heart this week. My heart this week has been so, so full and my mind has been so challenged. There's so many people that we write off. I personally know a convicted murderer who has led thousands of people to Jesus. Most of us would have written him off. He's a murderer. I met with an organization this week that is in operation in our community that deals with um, unwanted pregnancies, surprises, people who are searching, people who are scared, and they do everything they can. They said, well, let's, we know that you're considering this, but let's take this off the table. I hate this thing. I'm going to turn it off. I know I, I use the word hate. Back on us, I don't like it. I feel more comfortable like this anyway. He's dealing with people who um, they're contemplating something not really good. I said, let's let's take that and put it over here. Let's not talk about that right now. You have other options. They deal with adoption agency they work with and they'll support the mother if she decides to to go through with the pregnancy and keep it. They'll support her for two years and help her. But I noticed in the brochure it says post-abortion counseling. And the first thing when they called us, the first thing I asked them was, what is your stance on abortion? They told me, very, very cut and dry. It was good. It's just, I want to point this out to you because we try we do everything in our power to steer people down the right road to what we think 
would be best for them. But sometimes they don't make that decision. And we know that they're going to need Jesus afterwards. They're going to have to be healed. They're going to have to be counseled, supported. And I never... We, we can sometimes get so entrenched in our in our agendas and our beliefs and absolutely pro-life is the way to go. It's the only way. But sometimes there, there are little miracles out there that can be had if you just love somebody. You didn't do what I wanted you to do. You didn't do what I view as right and what is right. I still love you. Does that challenge your heart? Does that cause you to want to not be so close-minded to some folks who may not look like you or be like you or be associated with the same people that you're associated with? I didn't mean to get heavy quick, but it was just here. Holy Spirit wants to do some amazing things in our community. If you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Brian. I've been here for quite a while. So I'm just not paying attention, apparently, because I've been here. I go by PB. I go by Brian. Pretty much Cindy's the only one that calls me Brian, but I'll go with whatever you call me, I'll go with. Amen. <laughs> I go by Papa B, which is, that's my rapper name. But uh, actually, in a few weeks, I'm actually going to be a grandfather for the first time. My, my oldest daughter is, is about to have a baby, and I'm going to, maybe they'll call me Papa B. I've got one that calls me Pop. Anna calls me Pop. But I'll, I'll answer to anything, pretty much, you know. I have some that call me the other Albert. I thought they were talking about Einstein. They weren't. Think about it. The other Albert. Hey, hey, hey. That's right. Uh, next week is going to be a special day here, uh, July the 2nd. That's just a day. But we're going to have one service at 10 o'clock. So our 9 o'clock crowd and our, 10, our 1045 crowd, well, some of them are 1050, 1055. But we can all worship together. Everybody got that. 10 o'clock next Sunday. Don't come at 9 because you'll be eating with the men over in the fellowship hall. Um, Don't come at 1045 because you will have missed the best part of the service, which is worship. That's my job. (laughs) Um, This month we've been talking about missions. And the first thing we, we think about is going off to a faraway place. I remember Mission Sunday when I was growing up, I grew up in the Assembly of God Church, and, and Mission Sunday was just, oh gosh, we gotta go through that again. Everybody, bring your little buses with your all your pennies in it, and we're gonna give to missions, and we're gonna have a missionary talk about. I see some smiles out there. You've lived that. You, you know what we're talking about. But this house doesn't have that view of missions. We are on a mission every day. We don't have to go to Belize. We need to go to Belize. We don't have to go to the Dominican Republic or Nicaragua or or Honduras or Jamaica or any of those places. But we need to go there. But we are missional right here in our own own home. 
Pastor Caleb told us a couple weeks ago that it starts at home. Being good examples to our children and, and to kids in our community and kids right here. Being good, good examples of what it means to love like Jesus loved and to give like Jesus gave. And I, I, I think because my worldview has been challenged this week, I think some of our thoughts are going to be challenged. Even the good things that we do, we're going to view those things a little differently, hopefully, after this morning. And maybe not, we can go home now. But um, your perspective is, is tied to where you are. My perspective is a personal thing. It's, it's, it's relative to me. And if I have a, a view of something, somebody standing or on this side has a different perspective of it. And sometimes, in order to have a different perspective, we have to be willing to go to a different place. Amen. And um, um, we, we heard a, uh, the pastoral staff went to a conference a few months ago, and we heard a, a young man from the east coast of North Carolina. And he um, shared about how when he got out of seminary that he and some of his buddies wanted to plant a church. They wanted to plant a church for the unchurched, which that sounds really good. We want to plant a church. It's different than anything else. We want to plant a church for the unchurched. So they went through their months of planning. And um, if you've ever been a part of a church, you know you just don't pop up and say, here, here, here we are, here's a church. In the music business, when I was in the music business, we called that we want to have a release date and not an escape date because you create a product, whether it be a book or a, a CD or whatever it is, a movie even, and you create this thing and you have a marketing plan and you want to make the public aware, one, that it exists, two, that it's coming and when it's coming. You want to build anticipation and you want to have people ready to go into those stores and buy your product or download it on iTunes or whatever it is now. But you, you build anticipation of what's coming. One that exists, one, two that it's coming, and three when. And then September 1st, your CDs are in the store or whatever you're selling, and people go in because they've heard it on the radio and they go, oh, it's finally available. I can go buy it now or I can download it or whatever. An escape is when you create a product and you put all this effort, time, and love and devotion into it, and there's no marketing plan, there's no preparation. People are not anticipating it. People don't know it even exists. September comes and your product escapes. Unknown. So you don't want to start a church that way either. You want to have a release date. So they went through all the planning processes and this is what it's going to look like. This, this is where we're going to go. And this is who we're going to minister to. And we're going to start a church for the unchurched. So time comes and they get to their date and they go to Wilmington, North Carolina. That's where they decide to start this church. And they get there. They've done all their planning. The date comes. The Holy Spirit starts drawing people into the church and starts to grow. And some of his team come to him and say, this is not what we signed up for. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, these, these people, they don't know how to dress. They don't know what not to say in a church. They don't know how not to act. They don't know that you're not supposed to sleep with somebody else in the congregation. They don't know. I can't believe what's going on in this church. He said, well, brother, we built a church for the unchurched. They don't have the privilege of knowing the things that you know. These things that, that you said, well, I grew up that way because I was told in in the pre-K class or in, in kids' church or in, 
in the youth group, I was told the, how to live and what I was expected of me as a Christian. And well, they didn't go through that. They just they they down to fifth last night. That's that's a that's right. Anybody know here? Is that an accurate term? A fifth, a pint? I don't know. They down they drank a lot. I, I'm not a drinker, so. If you know, please don't tell me because that's going to identify you as a drinker. So let's just let's just move right along here. About to get somebody in trouble. But the church is God's agent of transformation, personally, culturally, and globally. Andy Stanley said this. Let's see what's up here. Yes, thank you, Jesus. And he said this. He didn't write it in a book, so. Maybe a little hard to follow, and the the thing that's in green there that means we're going to emphasize that word. You got that, Janet? We're going to emphasize that word. We sh- and one, one another, as he's saying it here, is like a verb, meaning we should love one another. Okay, you got that? We should be one anothering the way we should one another. You follow that? And when we're one anothering the people outside the church like we should, when we're following Jesus what we represent should be what the entire culture should be drawn to and ultimately what they should become. If we're truly representing Christ the way we should represent Christ, is what he's saying. If we're truly loving one another the way we should be loving one another, the culture should be drawn to that. And we're seeing that here. There are people coming here. Pastor Dom was here at the, um, at the picnic we had a couple, I guess June, June 4th, I guess it was almost a month ago now. And he was sitting under the pavilion. He said, he said, Brian, he says, I don't know 10% of these people. He's pastored, he pastored here for almost 30 years, has been a part of this, this house for years. He's had some health issues recently and has been a little less present than he had been in the past. But he said, there's so many new people. He was loving it. He wasn't complaining. He was excited. Because that was a great day. We're going to do more of those. That was an awesome day of fellowship and getting to know people and getting to know people beyond. Well, I think they sit in the third row on the right side on, on Pastor Javen's side as well. No, that, no, no, no. They sit in Pastor Ray's section about halfway back in the center normally. And they got three people. No, so you understand what we're saying? We're, we, we, we see these names come across and prayer requests come in and we're like, who is that? We go to Facebook. We're trying to identify people. Oh, I, I, I know her. I know her. Yeah, she nearly slapped me in the face coming out of the bathroom the other day. No. Um, but we, there's so many new faces around here. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with, with who people are. I'm so afraid I'm going to do something in Walmart and the person behind me is going to be like, aren't you our worship pastor? <laughs> uh, I got stories I could tell, but I ain't going to tell them. I'm not going to tell them, baby. It's okay. The church should be outward facing. And that's not easy because the gravitational pull of the church is to the people that are here. Well, how are we going to serve their children? Or how are my children going to be served? You, when people come here, we're consumers. We want we want to know what we're going to get out of a church. We go online and we start looking at it. Well, this, this lines up. Yeah. What kind of youth group do they have? Well, that, that looks good. That looks like they're very active. So we do, that's natural. That's human nature. I'm going to see if this thing 
is for me. It's to self. It's selfishness sometimes. And that's the gravitational pull of our hearts. So it's, it's natural for the church to be the same way. But we have to be outward facing. What we do here is awesome. I love, I love Sunday mornings. I love what we do here. But this should be the, the, la- the least impactful thing you do all week. On Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday as you're out there with the folks that may not be attending church or may not be a follower of Christ. I'm going to give you a couple of, of stats here that is going to set up something I'm going to say later. Deaths to climate disasters have declined 99% from a century ago. That was from the New York Post in April of 2022. Think about that. Deaths due to climate disasters have dropped by 99%, meaning in 1922, there were 99%, almost 100% more deaths than there were in 2022. Anna told me a few last, last time I spoke. She said, "She said, Pop, when you speak, it's like it's like we're going to school." I have a lot of stats and things like that. I say it's not like school. It is not. It really is. It is not. And I, I sent her to detention. That didn't happen, did it? I'll pay for that one later. It is is this stat because? that climate has gotten easier. I don't think that's the case, that the hurricanes have gotten dramatically smaller or less frequent. We're told that's not the case. I don't don't think it is. I don't think that that, that climate has changed to the level that that we're not dying because it's gotten nicer to us. Well, what's changed that? In Vox in 2014, they, they said this, from 1990 to 2014, which is a 24-year period, there are a billion fewer people living under the poverty line than there were in 1990. In that 24 years, there were a billion people that came out of poverty. So I didn't look this up, but I, I think, if memory serves, there are about 7 billion people in 2014 on the planet. So one of every seven people was pulled out of poverty in that 24-year period. And it hasn't stopped. So that's been nine years. So even fewer people are in poverty now than there were in 2014. But what caused that? Was it capitalism? Was it ingenuity? Was it innovation, technology? I know climate or the disasters and things is because there's been technologies that have been created in the free market that you know, we, we can tell somebody, even if they don't like us, they could be on an island down in the South Pacific and they hate America, they hate the Western society, they hate but you know what, if we we know there's a hurricane coming their direction we're going to let them know and tell them Galveston would never have happened had there been warning, I don't know if you remember I hope nobody here remembers but in the early 1900s there was a hurricane that hit Galveston just devastated, thousands of people died because by the time it got on the coast it was too late to leave they didn't know it was out there. But it, it could be capitalism, it could be innovation, it could be all these different things. The church, the body of Christ, provides the strongest argument for dignity and the individual 
of the individual and human rights. Church leaders have told us our entire lives that whomever you meet, no matter what they've done, no matter what they look like, that they are an image bearer of Christ, an image bearer of God, and, and they have dignity. And we don't want anybody to suffer. We don't want anybody to, um, to have to go through the things that they, they went through in, in the early church. But it's not, it's not chemistry or it's not biology. It's not any of those things that, um, that cause us to have empathy and compassion. So what is it? What causes it? I realize that these, these, seems, these things seem very disconnected right now. Because what does that have to do with the church and missions? Andy Stanley said that in, in, in talking about empathy and, and people, um, people often will say that, well, you know, I just, I just know it's the right thing to do. It's, I was... I was. I, I just know it's. It's inside me that that's that's the way to treat people, to have compassion and to love people. No, you were taught these things. You were taught the, uh, what was right and what was wrong, because once upon a time, the world didn't view people that way. They didn't view people as having value and and. Um, for a second, one second, I'm, I'm so sorry. The world did not see people that way. The world did not see people that did not look like, like them that way. It's a long shadow of the teaching of Jesus, a long shadow of the church and his good news that creates a sense of justice and mercy and compassion for people who are different in any way. America has done a lot of great things. I was raised to think that we're a generous and kind country, but normally when we do something kind for somebody, there's a string attached to it. We're going to give you this, but you're not going to do that. Um, Christian philanthropy accounted for 70% of all American philanthropy in 2022. Of all the good that America had did, had done for in, in a philanthropic manner that year, 70% of it, $300 billion was from Christians. Christians outgave the U.S. government in addressing global poverty, poverty in 22. It wasn't the government. It wasn't, it wasn't them taking our, our um, taxes from us generously and applying them in a fair manner. It was, it was Christians giving that they outgave the U.S. government in 2022. Out of the top 50 largest, healthiest charities in the U.S., 40 of the 50 are faith-based. And others' first ethic is built into the teachings of Jesus. And I don't know if you notice around here, well, there are people who celebrate the decline of the church. When something happens, when something goes wrong, when a pastor does something that, that is immoral, there are people that celebrate that, that tout it. And they measure us by the very, the very moral um, standard that, that Christ unleashed in the early church. That's what they measure us by. They don't measure us by their own standard. Philip Yancey said in the, the book, Vanishing Grace, those who condemn the church for the blind spots do so by gospel principles, arguing the very moral, 
the moral values of the gospel originally set loose in the earth. As Christians, we have an obligation to live holy lives. We can't, we can't represent Christ well and not live righteous lives. Amen. I'm not saying that we're perfect. I'm not saying that you're not going to make mistakes, but we have to strive to be Christ-like in all that we do. Because we people are watching us in all times and all places. And we don't do it for that purpose. We want to be holy. We want to be righteous for his sake. But people are watching us and we do have an obligation. He went on to say, the human rights, civil rights, women's rights, minority rights, the success of the modern movement, of any of these modern movements, reflects widespread empathy for the, for the oppressed, that there is no precedent in, ancient, in the ancient world. Classic philosophers consider mercy, pity, as character defects and contrary to justice. Because once upon a time, nobody cared. Nobody cared about women. I know right now, women's rights. Now I, want my, I want my wife, my children, everybody, every woman in this room to, to experience the very most that God has for them. I don't want any discrimination against a woman, but that's not the case in history. They had no value. They weren't good in battle, so they thought. They couldn't go out and earn a living because of tra- ritual and tradition. They were weak. They even, I mean, to call somebody womanly was a great insult to someone back then. But I know women in this room that are much stronger than I am. Maybe not physically. I'm afraid of a couple of them. Not to mention names, Cindy. But mighty woman of God, rise up. The enemy is afraid of you. When a woman of God stands up and starts speaking, Janet, when you started reading that psalm the other day, knowing what you've gone through in the last couple of weeks, man, there was power in that. So much power. Mighty woman of God, stand up. If you are discriminated against minority, mighty man or woman of God, stand up. Know who you are in Jesus. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom. Pastor, Pastor Casey was asked not too long ago by, by, by some other ministry leaders in the state, how are, how are, you, how are you drawing people of other, other, other minorities and things into your body? What, what, what is your strategy for that? What, how are you doing it? Because you know, Sunday mornings are very divided. And he was a little baffled by it. He said, what are you, what are you talking about? So, well, what, what's your methodology? What are you using? What tools are you using to have different, different races in, in your, your body? And he said, we're just, we're just teaching Jesus and loving people. That's all you got to do is teach Jesus and love people. And you'll find that we're all brothers and sisters. I love looking at our platform on Sunday morning. I love it. Because we're a reflection of the kingdom. We are a reflection of the kingdom. And I may, I may be the, the worship pastor and the one that's in charge, but we're a team. Then on Wednesday nights, there ain't nobody in charge. Believe me. There ain't nobody in charge up here on Wednesday nights. 
but we are a collective. There's no one up here more important or less important than the other. And I love, I love my team. Why would I have compassion towards someone? This is the the ancient thought. Why would I have compassion towards someone who doesn't have anything to do with me and that I can't get anything from? Why would I be generous to somebody who can never repay the favor? Why would I defend someone who I'm I'm never going to be able to make them useful in my life? People are commodities. That's how the ancient world saw it. But Jesus came and Lo, the little children. Bring the little children to me. The emphasis he put on women in ministry. And there are still denominations that are battling and fighting over that to this very day. Can a woman preach? Can a woman be a pastor? Yes. Absolutely. A woman can do anything that that anybody else can do. Amen? I hope I just didn't split the church, but that's just the truth. You let, you let the Holy Spirit get one on, these, on one of these ladies and they can change the world. And you get a whole group of them together, you're in trouble. Because they may start changing your house. <laughs> but yeah, women, women should be empowered in the body of Christ. We, we've, of, we've often said that um, these things are considered to be virtues, that they're, they're innate in us, they're inherent in us. That it's part of being a human being to view women, to view the, the oppressed in, in those ways. It's just, man, I just, I just care so much. It's just part of being a human being. And Yancey says no, and history says no. These things were learned. They were part of the long shadow of the teachings of Christ. I think that maybe Stanley's been reading his book because he used that same phrase. And of the church. Not, not until Jesus did that attitude change. It wasn't religion that changed it. It was Jesus and the teachings of Jesus through the church that changed it. It reshaped ancient culture for the better. What was not self-evident, this is, a, this is going to really you're going to, these are familiar terms. What was not self-evident that is so self-evident to us became self-evident because of the teachings of Jesus through the church. And it didn't happen overnight. It's taken generations and centuries to change some of these things. It wasn't the government that, that changed these things. Well, we have a, we're a nation of laws, and, and our nation of laws, that, that, they, they set the bar for morality. No, the only thing the government can do for you is tell you how low you can go before you go to jail. Here's the bar right here. Don't go below that bar. Whatever you do up here, we don't care. But don't go below this bar. Not saying it's going to make you a better person, but it's just not going to make you as bad as the people that are below the bar. So that's not morality. That's just, that's where I go to jail. And the media reminds us constantly of how low we've gone and how far and how low we have sunk. So it's not the media that's helping us. Well, you don't want to do this because you'll go to jail. No, they, they glorify those things and they, they make money off of those things. They keep those things before you. So who challenges the citizens? And I realize this is all going to come together in a second. Who challenges the citizens of our nation 
in a, in a modern society to live beyond the law? Who instructs us to do the one thing that if everybody did it, if everybody did this one thing for a month, the world would change. If everybody would do this one thing, we would change the world in a month completely. Revolutionize the earth. And what's that one thing? To love one another. And to take it even a step further. To love as Christ loved you. Because he demonstrated it. He gave, God gave his only begotten son so that no one would perish but have everlasting life. And he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. And today with, with tidings of great joy, I tell you that a baby is born and his name is Jesus. Those are two times that that it was it was foretold what Christ was going to do. I heard a, a man uh, at the time he was in Indianapolis. He now pastors a very large church in um, in Colorado. But he was telling about the time that he was in, in Indianapolis. And he, it was a small church. And they partnered with a ministry downtown, an inner city work. And um, the man told him, he says, you know, they're, you're the best church in Indianapolis. He said, how can you say that? The best church in Indianapolis. He said, well, they're, you're just the best church. He said, well, you, you work with all these large ministries that come down here and they do far more than we do. So we're just a small work. He said, well, there are four types, four types of churches come down here and I, I say there's actually a fifth church because they don't they don't participate at all but he said there's there was one church the first kind of church comes down here and they stand behind the table as we're serving food and when all, everybody's been served and there's food left over we say won't you eat with us and they say no they go home that's the first type of church the second time type of church they serve and they stand behind the table and they serve and they, uh, everybody gets their food and there's food left over. Won't you stay and eat with us? And they say, yes, certainly. And they go down to Subway around the corner and they get a sandwich and they come back and they sit in the corner by themselves and they eat by themselves. And he said, then there's a third type of church and they they actually come to the other side of the table to serve because that's what we've asked them to do is we want them to interact with our people. So they come to the other side of the table and serve, which that seems counterproductive to me because I think you're in the way. But anyway, and they say, won't you stay and eat with us? And they say, yeah, okay, we'll stay and eat with you. And they go through the line and they get food and they go over in the corner and they sit by themselves. He said, then there's you, there's your church, you guys. You serve and when everything's done, we say, won't you eat with us? And you say, yes. And you go through the line and you get your food and then you come and you, you sit amongst us. We don't need you to paint. 
we don't need you to um, to build anything. We just need you to be a part of us. We want you to engage with us. We want to be in relationship with you. Our Love Serve Give team, I see Miss Elaine here this morning. She served so faithfully. It's not all about food. We, 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 we provide food. There's three other churches that do it as well. We provide food. We provide clothing and, and toiletries. Miss, Miss um, Sherry does it now. Miss Elaine did it for, for years. But we love on them. We invite them to church. And I, I will say, as great as our Love Serve Give team does, I want us to do better. After seeing this, I want us to be more interactive. I want us to, to love on these folks. And th- this is a pet peeve of mine. Wherever you're serving, I don't care I don't care who you're serving, what community it is, it doesn't matter. Don't ever refer to anyone as they. That is so hurtful. Well, you know how they are. You know what they like. They, they, you're, you're dividing. That's hurtful. When you're serving. Because people know your heart. They can see your actions, but they know your heart. If effective mission starts with humility. We focus on activity when we should be focusing on attitude. Everybody say, I hate peace. I hate peace. Everybody say, I hate peace. I hate peace. Yuck. Come on now. I hate peace. Yuck. I know you hate peace, honey. Missions can, can never start with an attitude of pride. Look what I've done. Look what I've Look how great I am. Missions can never have an attitude of plenty. Look how much I have. I think I should probably give so much of what I have to someone who doesn't have as much. Missions should never start with an attitude of pity. Because if you pity someone, you're saying to them, I think I'm better than you are. I think I'm better. Oh, they're poor souls. I think I'm going to help them. People know your heart. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Effective missions sees an enemy, and it's not the people that you're serving. It's not the community that you're serving. The enemy is the enemy. 1 Peter 5, 8 talks about the roaring lion, and I'm really slow, y'all. I'm really slow sometimes. And I, I was with a group that had a, the biggest song they ever did was Greater Is He, back in God knows when it was. But I sang that song for five years, 180 times a year for five years. And I hate that song today. I've used the word hate twice in my message today. I realized that. I'm sorry. It's a strong word. But I really don't like that song because I was just so sick of it. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. But he wrote, wrote there's a lyric in that song and there's this, this the scripture is referring to that the enemy roams around like a roaring lion, like a roaring lion. He's not a lion. He's a fake. He's a fraud, but he roars around like a roaring lion. 
it never, it never dawned on me. I mean, I just, I just never picked up on that, that fact of that scripture. He's not a lion. He's roaring like a lion because he's trying to puff up and act like he's a bad boy. And he ain't. He is not. He is not Jesus. He is not the lion of Judah. Amen. enemy is brokenness, poverty, pain. There is an enemy, but it's not the people you're serving and it's not the community that you're in. You're not trying to go out there and change hopeless, uh, homelessness. You're trying to love on the homeless. Show them love, show them compassion. For, for the longest time, I thought we were serving homeless people. Love, serve, give. Many of those folks aren't, aren't homeless. Some of them may not even be hungry. I have no idea. Some of them are lonely and they want to come and they want to feel love. Some of them feel like they have no value. They want to come and be valued. Some of them have been told for years that they're nothing and they want to know that they're something. That's why people come. Pastor Pastor Javid mentioned M.L. Moody, the story about children that were going to his inner city Chicago ministry and um, he said that a reporter saw one of the children this just last week so if you weren't here I'm going to tell you if you were here maybe you'll remember it um, but they, he saw these children walking past church after church after church going through city streets of Chicago passing churches who had ministries themselves going to this other church and they, they asked them why are you passing all these other churches and going to this church? And the, the child responded, because they love us. Because they love us. I want all people in this community to know that the people of Bethel Worship Center love them. And not just the ones that are here on Sunday morning. There is a Hispanic community in this, in this city that needs ministry. And we're trying to prepare for that right now. We feel it's coming. And we want to be ready for it. But beyond it coming, we want to go get it. We want to find inroads into, into that community. Uh, Efren, they're not here today, but Efren and Ian are, are helping us with that. And I know that we have some other folks in here that have a heart for Hispanic people that will probably get involved in that as well. And that's, that's coming down the road. Um, Ryan, I'm going to skip down a few, past a few things here. I'm going to show you a real quick video. Uh, something that we saw um, last summer. And just go ahead and play that. There is in Honduras a bridge. The Army Corps of Engineers built it when roads were in infancy and they wanted a highway that stretched from Prudhoe Bay to the tip of South America, the Pan American Highway. There was a stretch of water 300 meters across. Based on the San Francisco suspension bridge, they built the Cholatica Bridge. They built it to withstand tropical storms. In 1998, Mitch came through and it destroyed everything. But it didn't destroy the Cholatica Bridge. That storm had puffed its last puff, 
dropped its last raindrop. That mighty bridge stood. But the river had moved. We are in a cultural storm that has moved the river. Our churches are still there and we still go to our churches just like people, local people, use the Cholatika Bridge. But it's not a part of the Pan-American Highway. Not anymore. You can't catch fish from the bridge anymore. Everything we've been doing in the last 60 years has been trying to get the river to come back to the bridge. And we're more committed to the bridge than we are to the river. The river is not coming back. Millennials are leaving and have left the church and Gen Z is not interested. And in the literature they read among the don't bother to read books in a very narrow list is the Bible. 21% of Americans now do not affiliate with any religion. The river is not coming back. We have to make up our mind, are we more committed to the bridge, the church as we know it, or to the mission itself? And this is a difficult question for us, because when we think church, we think building, that's not biblical of course, when we think church, we think a worship service, when we think church, we think Sunday morning, 9 to 12, we wouldn't dare have church any other time. When we think church, we think praise, music, and preaching. Maybe we need to rethink what we're calling church. He went on to say that it is more important the location of your church on Monday morning than it is the location of your church on Sunday morning. This really should be the less impactful thing, the least impactful thing you do all week for Christ. I love Sunday morning church. We're going to keep doing it. This this is important. Coming together and being together and being being challenged and worshiping together and praying for one another and having that sense of community. This is important. This is biblical. This but the building is not the church, as he was saying. The building is us. Or the, the church is us. And our church needs to be going out into the community and fulfilling the great commission of loving on people and making them disciples of Christ. We need to love on everybody, but that's not enough. But you're never going to reach anybody for Christ if you don't love them first. Pre-COVID, and these are real numbers, this is not... You know, I know that he said 20% of people are unaffiliated with any church or any religion. When you got Muslims, you got 
Buddhists, you've got all kinds of stuff that, that take up a lot of that space um, beyond the 21%. So not everybody affiliates with, with Christianity anymore. But pre-pandemic, 17% of Americans attended church regularly. 17% of Americans attended church regularly. Now, some parts of the country, it's a little bit more. Some parts of the country, it's, it's a little bit less. But on average in America, 17% of people attended church. Post-pandemic, post-COVID, that is now 12%. Which 5% doesn't sound like a whole lot. But if you run the numbers, that is 17 million people in the last three years that have stopped attending church. 17 million people. That doesn't mean they're not Christians. We've talked about that before, that you don't have to show up for Sunday morning church to be a Christian, but we know it's really hard not to, and they're not being, they're not a part of a community. They don't have people to pray for them and, and to agree with them. And 17 million people. And sometimes it's much harder to reach somebody who's been a part of a church and who's, who knows a lot of scripture than it is to reach somebody who knows nothing. Because somebody who knows nothing, never been exposed, you expose them to Christ. Holy cow, what is this? This is amazing. Oh my Lord, my world's changed. I'm set free. But we have someone that's in our life that is going through a physical battle right now. And anytime Cindy will mention Jesus or God or church, oh yeah, I've done the church thing. Me and God, we're good. Are you? Are you really? And how how hard can you push on somebody before you turn them off completely and cause them to disassociate with you and stop answering your calls? It's hard. But there are people in our community who need to be loved on. And it needs to be authentic and genuine. And they need Jesus. ask you a question. In the next 30 days, what can you do? What can you commit to? How can you do something? If you'll text the word commit to that number, if, you, if something comes to your mind, we're going to leave that up there for a few minutes. I'm going to read more, one more uh, quote and we're going to sing a song. What can you do? If you contact us, you know, well, I'm going to commit to doing something. We've got a lot of stuff you can do. Uh, Jackson Teen Center, which is something Brian Mays is doing, he has these little bottles. He, he has a thing called uh, Make It a Conversation. don't know what that really means, but I'm going to have a conversation with him about it. Make a conversation. What he's doing, he's got his teens going out, and they're, you know, summer's here, if you haven't noticed. And if you're, if you're homeless... Legit homeless. You can get a food at Love for, uh, Food for the Soul Monday through Friday. I think Mount Moriah may still be serving on Saturdays. And then Love Serve Give serves, uh, serves at the, the teen center on Sunday. So you can, get a, you can get a meal. You can get a drink. But you know you're not going to survive long on one drink a day. So they're passing out to homeless people. And they're trying to partner with restaurants and filling stations that will put a little symbol on their door. And that's their commitment 
if you bring this in, we'll give you a drink for free. You're welcome here. You know what? You don't have to have any money. You just come in and we'll fill this up with something cold for you. Now you can call them and hand out bottles if you want to. Or if you have a connection with somebody who owns a restaurant or a filling station, they need connections to get this system set up. Pastor Ray has a, an organization in the community, Vitality and the uh, Council on Aging. Vitality, they need a bus driver. They need people to, to pick up. You have to have a CDL, so a little 15-passenger buses based on a, a van chassis. They see somebody who can pick up folks and bring them places and, and take them to the, to the store and that kind of stuff. They need help that way. There's another program where if you sign up and go through a background check, because anybody working with kids, you have to have a background check these days. Um, we do it here too. If you're working with our kids, you got to go through a background check. We just want to make sure that we're keeping our, everybody safe. Um, but you can go into the schools and read to children, spend time with the kids, pour into them, help, help them know that they're loved. This is a, a quote by David Platt. The author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is in the dirty places. He is in the dangerous places. He's in the despised places. If you follow him, that's where you go. You go outside the camp. You don't sit back in comfort. You go to the need. That's dying to comfort. That's dying to self. It's dying in our devotion. You go to the dirty, the dangerous, the despised because you're convinced that the glory of Christ is worth it. How many of you believe the glory of Christ is worth going into the dangerous places and the dirty places? If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.